Turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews uh, chapter 12. If you brought your Bible with you, if not, we will have it on the screens for you as well. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we have been in a series entitled Unstuck. Unstuck. The reality of life is this, is that we all get stuck from time to time. So whether it's uh, uh, in, I don't know what that is. Is that me? Yeah? Oh, great. How am I going to fix that? I'm stuck. Help. What do I do? Am I going to be able to fix it or no? All right, we'll try it. If not, we'll go to a handheld, which is, I'm really going to be stuck then. But we all get stuck from time to time in different areas of our life, and that's just the reality of it. I wish, I, I wish it was this way. I wish that we would get stuck, learn from it, then get unstuck and never stuck again, okay? But that simply doesn't happen. We literally go through seasons where we're unstuck, we get stuck, and then we get unstuck, we get stuck, we get unstuck. But, but here's the thing that we, we need to learn is that, man, there are principles in the Word of God that can get us unstuck a lot quicker. Amen? Because of God, because of the provision of the cross, that, that in those moments, okay, I'm stuck, we can get unstuck really quick rather than letting that prolong on for weeks or even months or even, even years. And so today I want to talk to you about getting unstuck in our faith. Last week on Mother's Day, and I, I pray all the moms had a great Mother's Day, uh, we talked about getting unstuck in our family. Today I want to talk about getting unstuck in our faith. And as I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about our relationship with God and the journey that we're on with Him and growing closer together. Okay? Unstuck in faith. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are those witnesses? You'd have to go back to chapter 11, read through chapter 11, and you'd see the witnesses that are named there. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, or for us today as sons and daughters, or as children? My sons, do not regard, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Right? How many of you guys got spanked when you were growing up? How many of you, your parents would look at you and say, this hurts me more than it hurts you? Okay? And then you would ask, then why don't you spank yourself? <laughs> it's painful. But it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Get unstuck. 
and make straight paths for your feet so that, that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed, that you would go from stuck to unstuck. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that God, you would challenge us. God, you would correct us. Uh, Lord, that you would edify and build us up and we'd walk out of here never being the same. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, a large pa- uh, portion of this, of this passage we read obviously deals with this thought of discipline, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment. It talks about discipline. Now, a lot of you raised your hand, and you got obviously disciplined as a child, and that is a good thing, okay? You can always tell when a child is be pro- being properly disciplined and when they're not, okay? And you know the ones that aren't because you really like the parents and you want to have them over to your house, but you don't like their kids, so you never invite them over to your house. <laughs> now everybody's, oh, he's never invited me over to his house. Is that? No, okay. But you all know what I'm talking about. You all have those friends, right, where, man, that you love them and you, man, you want to hang out with them, but then you think about your kid, their, their, their kids, and then you think about your house and how much you appreciate your house not being broken, okay, right? And so you just, you know, we'll hang out at a restaurant, okay? We'll hang out at a, right? Uh, my kids um, get disciplined, and uh, we, we do the spanking method. Now, that's how I was raised. I, 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 my, my parents spanked me, usually my dad. If my dad wasn't available, my mom had no problem doing it. And, uh, and so th- they spanked me. They used the spoon, Mr. Spoon method, or Mr. Belt, or Mr. Stick, whatever, or Mr. Two-by-Four, whatever was nearby. And... <laughs> And so that's how, that's how I got, but they always did it out of love and they always did it in a way that yes, brought correction to whatever area they were correcting in my life. And so my dad would bring me in and he would sit me down and he would say, son, now you know what you did wrong, right? No, you, you always, I don't know why, but we always say no. Yes, we do. Right. And so then they explained to us what, that we did wrong and we're like, oh, you know, and, and then my dad would pull out the Bible and he would say, now, son, the Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Okay. But the rod of correction will drive it far from So I have to discipline you right now. And then you get in a debate, but dad, why? You know, you don't have to. I understand now, you know, <laughs> right? And then they would correct me, right? They were doing that for my benefit. No punishment or discipline seems good for, at the moment, but yet it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, some of you, maybe you got disciplined another way. Maybe it was a timeout. You, you know, you couldn't do something for a certain period of time. And, and that's kind of the direction we're heading now with our children as they get older. The spanking thing isn't working anymore. Well, why isn't the spanking thing working? Well, let me tell you. Okay. The other day I went to discipline my daughter faith and we were, I was disciplining her for an attitude she had. And I went in and, and, um, and, and, you know, uh, she, she was like, I, cause I told her you're not gonna be able to play with the neighbors. And she was like, no, like, that is the worst form of punishment for my daughter right now, not playing with the neighbors. And she actually started begging me for a spanking instead. <laughs> True story. She's like, Dad, just give me a spanking instead. I'll take two spankings even, Dad, but I want to play with the neighbors. And I was like, okay, fine. Okay, well, bend over. And then all of a sudden she's like, no, it's going to hurt. And I'm like, well, fine, then you can't play with the neighbors. No, spank me, Dad, spank me. <laughs> right? And so, and so she like has to get her little, her little pillow pet, the, 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 the ladybug one, and she buries her face in it, and then she clenches her little cheeks together, like as if that's going to reduce the pain. And, and so she's sitting there clenching, and, and, so, and so I go, and I know, it's a good thing that my daughters never watch these messages, right? And so and I go, and, I, and, and we do it out of love. So we have a, we're not like winding up, you know, like, okay, it's not fast pitch softball, you know, okay? 
And, and so, and so I, I, I spank her. Okay, and this is how you know when it's time to move your discipline in another direction. I, she's all clenched up, and she's like, oh, yeah, and I spank her. And, also she goes, and she looks at me, and she goes, <laughs> true story. And she laughed at me. Okay, and I'm, I'm in a disciplinary moment. I'm trying not, but then I'm like, and I start laughing. And then, like, and then I'm like, fine, you can't play with the neighbors. No! You know, not fair, you know. Okay, so there's different forms of correction of, of that discipline. And so we use the spanking, but we're graduating on now to other things to correct our kids. But this whole passage does not just deal with discipline. If you look at the beginning, it's actually the writer of Hebrews is actually painting a picture of an athlete. And he's, and he's telling this athlete, here's what you need to do in order to be ready to compete. Okay? It, it paints this picture like we are on this journey of faith, and it's a race, and, and, and it's a long race, and you've got to do something to yourself in order to maintain your faith. If not, you're going to get stuck. As a matter of fact, when you get stuck, here's some things you ought to remember. Okay? And so I want to look at these things real quickly out of Hebrews chapter 12. Why we get stuck in our faith. Hebrews chapter 11 points, paints this great picture okay, about all these people of faith. And that's why it says right here, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's talking about the witnesses in chapter 11. But I love how it goes on, and then it says, you know what? Those witnesses are great, but looking unto Jesus. Man, he is the champion of all champions. He's the focal point. It's about Jesus. It always has been about Jesus. It always will be about Jesus. And if you really want to succeed, look to him. When I was growing up, I loved basketball. I started playing basketball at the age of six. I actually still get out on the court on Monday nights, and I try to play. Okay? Um, and as long as the knees hold up, we're good to go. Okay? So I play basketball. Everyone, I've been playing since I was six years old. I love playing basketball. I played college ball. I played high school. I just love playing. And when I was younger, though, I had my heroes, basketball heroes, right? I, you know, back in the day, I had my Michael Jordan posters. Y'all remember this one, right? Right? You know, y'all just want to talk about the one that's worth a lot of money right now if you have it, right? Got the ball in his hand, okay? I'd have the posters, you know, Magic Johnson, you know. Come on, does anybody remember Bill Lambeer? I just doubt somebody back there, yeah. You've been going into Wikipedia, huh? Who's Bill Lambeer? Back in 1974. Okay. I'm not have posters of these guys, man. Why? Because I would look to them like, man, one day when I grow up, I want to be just like them. Okay? Right? Yeah, you know, if, I guess if you're a, a seamstress, I don't know what poster you would have on the wall, but, you know, whoever she is or he is, but. And that's like, that's who you're looking to. Like, man, I want to be just like that. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. Hebrews chapter 11 is like those posters of all these people that have gone, wow, okay? And then, and then he brings in the, the Jesus action figure. Come on, somebody. Remember your little G.I. Joes when you were little, you know, and you pull them out and play with them, or, okay? And looking unto Jesus, okay? Here's how we're going to make it as, as Christians. We've got to have some people with us. Here's how we get stuck in our faith. Number one, we think we are the only ones in the fight. We think we're the only ones in the fight. Sometimes we feel like we're the only ones in this thing. No one cares about me. No one's got my back. Pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. Matter of fact, nothing he preaches even hits home with me. It's not even that challenging. I should probably just move on. Guys, you guys remember a show called Winnie the Pooh? Winnie the Pooh. Okay, I got two girls and so we've, we've seen them all. Right. 
You know, you watch that show, and there's this one character in that show. Y'all know who he is, right? Eeyore, right? Eeyore, man. He is like, he is like the most depressed fake donkey ever. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Nobody knows how hard my life is. Right? Okay. That's how we get stuck in our faith. We become Eeyore Christians. Right? Seriously, right? There's times we get offended. Man, everybody always offends me. Especially the tall guy on stage. Right? And we just walk around and like we, we, we paint this picture of how bad it is. We feel like we're the only one in the fight. We feel like we're the only one in the battle. Can I tell you something? That is a tactic of the enemy. He wants you to feel that way and then he jumps on that because of your confession. Nobody cares. And he jumps on that thing and then he secludes you and then the very place you need to be at church around faith-filled people is the very place he keeps you from. Because no one cares. You're the only one. Matter of fact, I might as well just stay home. I might as well just watch it on TV. I might as well just, okay. First Kings 18 and 19, there's a story about a guy named Elijah. And Elijah just performed this, this massive feat in front of the prophets of Baal. Y'all, y'all read this story before? It's a great story, okay? Go back, read it. First Kings 18 and 19. And, and the prophets of Baal, there's a whole bunch of them. And they're, they're trying to get their God to respond and burn up this sacrifice. And the Bible says they're walking around, cutting themselves, crying out to their God, and nothing's happening. And I love this part of the story. Elijah actually starts making fun of them. He starts poking fun of them. He's like, yeah, maybe your God's too busy, you know, in, in, in the bathroom. True story, read it. It's like poking fun at him. Like, yeah, maybe your God can't. It's an awesome story. And Elijah, so then the, the, it comes to Elijah's turn. Bell never answered. And Elijah just steps up and goes, you know what? Go ahead and dig a trench around that thing. Fill it with water. And as a matter of fact, just go ahead and dump some more water on top of the sacrifice. Okay? He's just like, check this out, right? He prays, God answers. <laughs> sacrifice is consumed. Like six, ten verses later. You see this guy, Elijah, that just was involved in this awesome thing. He's running, scared for his life. And he makes these statements. I'm the only one left that actually loves you, God. No one else around here. None of the other prophets. They don't even care about you. It's just me and only me. Always has been. Right? And then he finds himself and he actually starts praying to God that God would kill him. True story. True story. Why is that? Because he felt like he was the only one in the fight. I feel like he's the only one in the fight. So you see, the, the devil wants to, to get you to that place. He wants to lie to you. He wants to say, you know, you can handle this one on your own. You don't need, you don't need church. You don't need those people around you. You can make this decision on your own. You can handle this one. And you feel like you're the only one. Why else would the writer say, hey, in this, 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 this fight of faith, in this, in this run of faith, okay, don't forget all those people that have gone before you. Yeah, I know, but they've gone before me. They're not here anymore. Oh, you're right. Okay, so why don't you do this? Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Look to him. Why? Because he's the one that will never leave you nor forsake you. He's there with you. If you make your bed in the pit of hell, guess what? He's there with you, you idiot. You know, he's telling you. Why did you make your bed here? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be right there with you. You are not in this battle. Let me just kind of just say this right now. 
If you are here this morning, I want you to know something. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, uh, and and I've been saying this throughout the whole series, uh, don't just get stuck in good. Go to great. No matter where you're at in the process, I want you to know something. Because of the provision of the cross, you can make it to the place that God is calling you to. You can make it, whether it's a challenging time or whether it's a good time, okay? God has something amazing for you, and you can get there. We think we're the only ones in the fight. Second thing I see here in this, in this passage is this, is we have the wrong view of sin. We get stuck in our faith because we have the wrong view of sin. Now, a couple years ago, we did this series called Sensation. If you ever have a chance to go back and listen to it, I think it's, it's one of my all-time favorites. Go back and listen to it, okay? But we deal with the subject of sin. The reason we get stuck in our faith is because we have the wrong concept of sin. Let me explain what I mean. Too many of us believe that sin is just this bad stuff that we do. I looked at pornography, sin. I slept with someone that's not my wife or husband, sin. I flipped somebody off on the freeway. Someone in the back was like, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore. That's sin. <laughs> that little one hit home. Like, oh. Okay, and we think all these things, now that's sin. So if I don't do that anymore, then, okay, I've laid aside every weight and the sin, all those bad, gross things I shouldn't be doing, and then, okay, here I am, God. Why do I still feel stuck? Because you have the wrong concept of sin. Sin is laid out in the Bible specifically in five different ways. Yes, that's one of them, but listen to this. Proverbs 24, 9. The thought of foolishness is sin. It's Bible. I'm just giving it to you. I don't like that one. Take it up with God. 1 John 5, 17. All unrighteousness is sin. Unjust deeds. Things that are contrary to the nature of God. And, you know, those, yeah, those are the bad things. That's sin, right? Okay, yeah. Not doing good when you know you should do it, is sin. James 4, 7. Okay, see, now we're starting to have a proper, oh, so it's not just bad, gross things I do. You mean it's, I could literally not do a good thing, and that's sin? According to the Bible, okay? In this specific case where it mentions sin in Hebrews chapter 12, the actual word picture is this, missing the mark. Missing the mark. I've missed the mark, okay? That's sin. What do you mean by that, pastor? Okay. What is the greatest mark that God wants from us? The great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples out of those that you love. Go into all the world and make disciples out of all those that, oh, they'd make a good Christian. No. Go into all those to make disciples out of every creature, everyone. That's the Great Commission. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come into a relationship with him. This is your commission, believer. Go share the love of Jesus with others. Plant, water, make disciples. There's the mark. I'm over here. That's sin. Oh, that sounds so legalistic. I don't, 
I don't, I don't know if I can go to this church because that, I don't know. That just sounds too, I mean, no, that, that can't be right. Okay. You, know what, you know what legalism, when people use that? Legalism, when they say that, that's legalistic. Unless it's truly legalistic, like we said, hey, ladies, you have to wear skirts down to your ankles and no makeup and pull your hair back. Okay? <laughs> that would be legalistic. But for me to preach the gospel and to say, hey, here's what the Bible says, and for someone to say that's legalistic, that's an excuse for you to not do it. The Bible says, go. This is the Great Commission. This is the number one thing as a believer. Why don't we want all of those gross things in our life? Because it will then ruin our testimony of Jesus. But if we get all of those things out of our life, and yet we don't go and do the Great Commission, we're in sin. We better move on to the next point, because people are throwing things at me. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Okay. This is what God wants from you. This is the mark. Am I doing it? Okay. Now listen, I want want you to hear this. Can you ever make someone become a Christian? No. Okay. But when's the last time you just said, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? And you actually did it. Well, I just don't think I'm ready, Pastor. I mean, I'm I'm still kind of struggling with pornography over here. I just don't know. I don't want you, like you said, Pastor, I mean, I mean, those things, that will ruin my testimony, so I probably shouldn't share my faith with them because, well, what if you sharing your faith with them was you overcoming that? Are you with me this morning? We're stuck in our faith because we have the wrong concept of what, of what sin is. We're stuck in our faith, uh, number three, because we lack preparedness and persistence preparedness and persistence listen to the listen listen to the word of god this morning okay we're surrounded by this such great cloud of witness let us lay aside every weight and every sin what is that preparedness and let us run with endurance what is that persistence remember the picture is an athlete okay i'm watching the nba uh, playoffs anybody else watching the playoffs right now come on somebody enjoying it lord please help the clippers to win today let them come back and win that series in jesus I got some clip fans in the house. Come on, somebody. Okay. Lord, I pray that the Lakers would not win another game. God, I pray that they. Well, 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 well. Thunder. I I grew up in Seattle, so they're still the supersonics to me. So, yeah. I'm watching the playoffs. I love watching the playoffs. Okay. And, and, and it's just, I don't watch the whole season because it's just too long of a season to follow so many games, and I would miss a lot of church. And so, I hit the playoffs, okay? And I'm watching it, and here's the thing, man. These guys, what do they do? They play a game, and then they go back to the drawing board, and they prepare for the next game. They prepare, they get to the game, they persist. They're done with the game, they go back to the drawing board, they prepare, they get to the game, they persist. That is the life of a believer. This is what the Bible is saying to us today. As the life of a believer, as a Christ follower, if you don't want to get stuck, if you don't want to become complacent in your faith, you've got to prepare and you've got to persist. If there is no preparation, you will have nothing to persist in. Okay, so Sunday and, and community groups and things like that, that's where we go and we prepare. That's like practice. And we, we get downloaded in from the coach, and the coach is telling us this, and the coach is telling us that. Okay, and then we go out. Okay, and we go to our job place, and we persist. We go to school, we persist. We go to our families, and we persist. But we've got to prepare, preparedness and persistence. 
And, and you know what, man? You've got to listen to the coach. You've got to listen to the coach. Are you with me today? Okay? We've got to prepare, and we've got to persist. Prepare, persist. I'm coaching my daughter's basketball uh, team right now, and I um, didn't sign up for it, but I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And uh, they won their first game yesterday. Come on, somebody. Okay? Seven, eight, nine-year-old girls. And, uh, and they won their game, and they won by six, and they played amazing. It has been awesome to see the advancements and how they're actually, rather than just, okay, they're actually pump faking and then making a pass, you know? They're working together as a team. On day one, I was like, dear God, there is no hope. Where are the child prodigies of the day? Because there are none on this team, you know? But man, to see the advancements they've made, and it's just so awesome to see them prepare and then to go out and see it pay off, okay? Why do we need to come to church and be around believers and be here? Because you will never be able to persist out there unless you prepare here, okay? This is the way God planned it. This is the way he designed it. Listen to some of these verses real quick. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Exercise yourself unto godliness. What is that? That's preparing. Hebrews 4, 16. I love this one. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of mercy and grace so that we might obtain grace and have it in a time of need. The picture is this. Come, get filled up. You might not need it right now, but guess what? You're going to need it on this journey. Therefore, let us come before the throne of mercy and grace, get filled up, and we'll have it in a time of need. Okay? Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I have this chronic problem of, of, of not working out for like seven months, and then summer's coming, and I want to work out. Because I want to look good on the beach. Yeah, absolutely. Most of us do that way, right? Most of us are like that. Most of us are. We just kind of let ourselves go. Oh, summer's coming. We should do something about it. I got to go to the gym. I got to get a membership. I started doing insanity. Oh, yeah, we did 14 days ago. We're doing insanity. Can you tell? Okay? Yeah, it's insane. It is, it is literally insane. But now listen, if I would just take this approach, I'm going to work out all the time. I wouldn't have to kill myself for two months before summer. I would just be in shape. That way somebody could say, hey, you want to go to Hawaii? Yes, I do. You know? I'm ready in season and out of season because I'm working out all the time. Not like, oh, dude, when are we going? Like in three weeks. Okay. And then starve myself for three weeks. Okay. Too many of us live our Christian life this way, though. We don't pray. We don't go to the throne of mercy and grace. We never prepare. All of a sudden, crisis happens, and then we, oh, God! Work out! Push out! Jesus, help! Okay? That's how we live our Christian life. Okay? And then we're always behind the eight ball because we're never ready. We're never prepared. Is somebody with me this morning. But if we would just go constantly before the throne of mercy and grace, guess what? We could just be walking. Problem happens. Not a big deal because I've been working out. I've been doing insanity. Okay? Sean T., peace out. Okay? It's workout. I like this one right here. Matthew 24, 13. He who endures till the end shall be saved. Wow, what is that? It's persistence. He who persists till the end, he who endures till the end shall be saved. When's that going to be? I don't know. That's why you got to keep working out. That's why you got to keep getting in the Word. That's why you got to stay in prayer, okay? 
I mean, can you imagine? I mean, just compromising for one moment and giving into that sin pleasure for one moment. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a moment, right? Giving into it for one moment and Jesus shows up. Oh, you're back. Bummer. <laughs> Should have endured. It's a good message. Thank you. I like it. Yeah, me too, Ben. You're a good preacher. I know. I've been working hard. Yeah. Lastly, why, why we get stuck in our faith we run from correction. We run from correction. We run from correction. Listen, listen to verse 8, chapter 12. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, who's that all? Chapter 11. Which all those guys have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Just for fun, go read that in the King James Version when you get home. You are illegitimate if you are not in discipline. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Why? Because God is treating you as sons. He wants to get something in you. If you are not under discipline, okay? Listen, if you are not listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what He's telling you to do, if you're not responding to the Word of God and what it says, if you're not responding when pastor comes and, oh, yeah, see, I knew it was going to go there. I just, like, I just like reading the Word and let the Word correct me. I just, like, I, just like, I just like reading, you know, these self-help books, and they help me. I just, I just sit around and listen to the Holy Spirit. He's actually, do you know that the Holy Spirit's voice oftentimes sounds a lot like your parents? Oftentimes sounds a lot like your pastors? Oftentimes sounds a lot like maybe somebody in church leadership? It's amazing how God does that. And he uses those people to speak into your life, to bring correction, to challenge Okay? Now, is it happening to me? Yes, it happens to me. It happens to me through all of you. You all feel like little Holy Spirits to the pastor. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like what you said about that point, pastor. And I don't. Yes, it happens to me. We have people speaking in, okay? But the Holy Spirit corrects. Yes, he'll speak directly to you, but oftentimes he uses somebody. He'll use the word, okay? He'll use natural authority, Okay? It's, it's like this, this video that we're doing right now, this, this insanity video. Like, if we're not doing the form properly, it's almost like he's talking to us at times. Like, I mean, he, he literally p- pulls people out in his video. If you guys ever done it, he pulls people out like, your form's awful, go take a break. Seriously, can you imagine? The whole world is seeing this workout right now, and Shanti just humiliated me. No one loves me. But you know what? They get out, they take a break, they get water, and they get back in. And, you know, we could learn a lot from the insanity video. I'm serious. Too many Christians are like, oh, you hurt me. I'm leaving. I'm taking my Bible. I'm going home. Okay? I ain't playing with you no more. I'm so proud of my daughter, Faith. Faith yesterday, uh, in, in, after the game, uh, she seemed a little down. And uh, during the game, uh, she was... Um, I, had him, I had him learn a zone. And unfortunately, for seven, eight, nine-year-olds, a zone means I just stand there. And so... I'm like, no, it's a zone. There's an area for you to cover. And so the ball goes right by her, and she's like, lay up. And I'm like, Faith, no, you got to get in front of them still, you know? She's learning. And so at halftime, I came over. I was like, baby, hey, when you're playing that zone, you've got to get down like this, and you're covering the whole area. So if the ball comes this area, you've got to get in front. And I could tell her she's just kind of listening. She kind of drops her shoulders. And at halftime, she walked over where mom was at. And I was like, oh, what's going on? I got her back over. And so after the game, she kind of seemed a little down. And I'm like, baby, are you okay? And she goes, Dad, can I tell you something? I'm like, yeah, of course. She's like, when you talk loudly to me like you did, 
Um, it hurts my feelings and it embarrasses me. And I just got down on my knee and, and I grabbed my arms around. I said, baby, will you forgive me? Because I realize I'm not just coach, that I'm dad too. And will you forgive me, baby? That's, that's not what I wanted to do. And she just wrapped her arms around me and she hugs me and she goes, yeah, dad, I forgive you. And I thought, man, my seven-year-old has a lot more guts than some 30-year-old Christians. They get offended and they're gone. That person hurt me and they're out. The, the Bible says we're a family. It's getting quiet again. Here, I'm going to say something that will probably offend somebody right now, okay? I'm just, I, I'm prefacing it, okay? I'm going, probably going to offend somebody right now. If I've offended you, get over it. Okay? Because here's the reality of offense, okay? If I've offended you, that means you've put an unrealistic expectation on me. Well, he didn't call me. Well, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, shake my hand at church. He doesn't even know. Forgive me for being human like you. Okay? Here's the reality of offense. When you offend somebody, okay, or you've been offended by somebody, let's put it that you've put an unrealistic expectation on them. Okay? Get over it. I love the example. I saw my daughter preach next week on offense. Learn something from a seven-year-old. We need to close. It's really quiet today. <laughs> How does the Holy Spirit correct us? We know he corrects through different avenues, but listen to this. Three different things mentioned here. We're going to close right here. Here it is. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him for the disciplines and chastises. All three of those carry a different context. Let me give it to you real quick and we're done. Chastise to inflict punishment. That's the one we all relate to. Oh, I screwed up, spanking. Oh. That's all we think about. But listen to me, it's not only that. Listen to this one, reprove. Reprove to test with kindly intent. To test with kindly intent. To test. So yes, we understand the chastise. I blew it. I know there's consequences. Get the spanking over. Don't play with the neighbors. Okay, let's move on. We understand that one. And that, for some reason, seems to be the only way we relate to God. We screwed up. He's correcting me. But God doesn't just do that. He corrects us by reproving us, by putting tests in our way. And when those tests come, they come in a lot of different formats. They can come through a pastor. They can come through a roommate. They can come through a coworker. They can come through children. It's a test, okay? And here's the thing with tests in the natural. Why do we take tests? To see if we grasp the concepts. And if we pass the test, we get to graduate and go on to another level. Are you with me this morning? When tests come by God, guess what? He wants to see if you've grasped the concepts so that you can go on to the next level. If you don't pass a test in the natural, guess what? You get to do it all over again. If you don't pass a test in the spiritual, guess what? You get to do it all over again. I hate that. I mean, God brings tests through children. That's why we only had two. We were tired of getting tested. I was like, okay, God, we got it this time. We understand. We grasp it. My mom, she had to have four. They were hard-headed before they finally grasped it. Some of you that have seven children, you're never going to learn, all right? Be done in God's name, all right? Okay, tests come, okay? 
But it's a test to see if you can go to the next level. The next level. The last one is this discipline. This is what that word means. Learning that molds character and enforces correct behavior. Learning that molds character and enforces good behavior. That is one of the number one ways the Holy Spirit would prefer to bring correction into your life. The Holy Spirit doesn't like coming and be like, oh, I got to chastise you now. You blew it. But he will. Listen to me. I like to take the approach with my children that I'm going to instill some good behaviors in them so that I'll have to chastise them less. Not only does that bring peace in my house, it, it brings peace into other people's house when we visit them. Kids, hey, I want to talk to you about something. What? Um, in the house, we don't run on the furniture, okay? We don't kick other people, <laughs> okay? We, okay? And we lay out these disciplines for them. Why? So that it'll yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's the way the Holy Spirit prefers to operate in my life, our, our life. Comes along and says, hey, I want you to do this. At that moment, we can either receive it or reject it. But if we reject it, we've just become illegitimate. And the very thing that we want to get unstuck in, our relationship with him, we actually further the stuck process because we run from correction. God, we thank you for your word today. And I thank you that your word is living and active. God, I thank you that your word does correct us and challenge us in so many different areas and avenues. And Lord, I pray this morning that your word would come and continue to do a work inside of us. That we could be the people that you're calling us to be. That we could, that we could increase in our favor. That we could increase, Lord, in our faith. That we could increase in our families. Hallelujah.